We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. No Darius today. And Mike, about a week ago, uh, we had had that pod where we were talking about basketball as like a rock, paper, scissors type of thing. And you're giving me a hard time in the text thread like, I don't know, man, paper is a little bit uh, underrepresented in in this discussion. And we kind of workshopped it a little bit and... Uh, one of the things I said in that discussion was like, I think Miami is paper, right? Paper is the it, paper is the one of a rock, paper, scissors that can change its its shape and kind of envelop a team. And that one of the reasons that I've liked Miami is that they can be a lot of different things. And I think that in series basketball, especially, that's really important, right? They can be a really good man-to-man defense, but they played a lot of 2-3 zone and 1-2-2 zone last night. They can... Uh, they have a guy they can give the ball to and get tough buckets in Jimmy Butler, but they also got these off-screen shooters that not a lot of teams have. They can go to like, oh, this didn't work in game three or game four. Well, let's try Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin in the rotation tonight. And so o- over the years of watching NBA basketball, that's a thing that I've come to value more and more is the ability to be kind of one team in one series and then another team in another series while still having your core principles that you stick to. And so last night they got a blowout win, both games, you know, both number one seeds uh, got blowout wins. And what I was impressed by with, with Miami was their ability to uh, like I, I, in, in the last pot, I mentioned they had a couple more pitches, a couple more tools that they could go to. And they did, right. They played more zone. They played Martin and Robinson. And so, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you're a little more skeptical on Miami, and I know Philly did not certainly put their best foot forth. So uh, what did you see out of the Miami and Philadelphia game? You know, Pete, you were disrespecting paper, and a lot of people do this. <laughs> it's just not as fun to throw it's out not a piece sexy. of paper yeah. Yeah. as it is to throw out a rock or a scissors. And so I, I, I don't remember what it was called, but there was some rock, paper, scissor league uh, when I was working for the Timberwolves years ago and they were going to arenas and <laughs> and I just remember one of the guys being like, actually, the uh, the best statistical thing to throw first is paper. Uh, he's like, if you if you just go out and you throw paper first every time, you're going to win more from that because most people like to throw a rock first. 
And if not rock, then they go to scissors. So I, I did think it was interesting. And Miami definitely has some paper tendencies, although they have a couple of rocks. Like a Jimmy Butler, I consider to be more of a rock. Sure. And and then they've got some they've got some role players. Like the whole heat culture is a little bit rockish, but you know, then they do have some subtleties to them, which I suppose is where some of the paper comes in. And so that game five, I we're gonna have to go back and forth on this one a little bit because so before that game, I was talking to one of my best friends in the world, my best friend from college, and he's a he's from Fort Lauderdale, not right outside of Miami. He's a huge Heat fan, watches every game, league pass, like the whole thing. And so he called me and he was very anxious before the game. And I was like, no, man, come on. You got this. Like, you guys are winning by at least 12. So Uh that just tells me something that going after losing two games at Philly, I just knew that Miami was going to bounce back. The role players were going to play better. Uh, Max Struess was going to have a good game. Somebody else was going to step up. And Embiid and Harden, if you give them a chance, and especially Harden, if you give them a chance where they don't sort of have to bring it a certain way, then they're not going to. And that's what happened. And so that doesn't mean that Miami doesn't get the credit for doing that. It's just that it was expected. So that's where before I get into some of the comments that you had, did you expect something to happen uh, in the same way? Like, what were you thinking going into that game? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you in that series and circumstances have a certain momentum to them where like if two teams are relatively close, but the home team wins game one and game two, game three, that road to, or the team that's now at home that was on the road is probably going to win that game. Similar to these, right? You win two in a row. It's hard to beat a good team that you're kind of closely matched to three times in a row. So I do think that there's... I, I, is it a desperation advantage, right? Like that, I whatever you want to call it, where yeah. there's kind of this environmental inva- advantage going into any game that I think also flips going into game six. These teams, Phoenix and Miami, go up three to two. There's a certain level of desperation where it's win or go home for Dallas and Philadelphia now that they have some environmental advantage at that point going into game six. But it changes from game to game, and it's one of the more interesting things. But you thought that even though Lowry was out, yeah, well, in fact, I thought that that was going to help Miami because yeah, Lowry was he basically bad. playing on one leg, and but he's still out there. And so when you see your teammate and he's still on the court, you're not going to you're going to treat him like he's the guy that you know, even though he's not playing like that guy. That's and right. so Vincent coming in, and Vincent was really good. He was five of seven. He only took uh, three. Well, let's see, three of those shots were threes. He had two assists. Like so, he didn't have the ball that much, right? But he was just out there, sort of as a role player in that spot and that let them go to other guys. And I think from the desperation advantage standpoint, Miami held, they held Philly to 15 free throw attempts and specifically with Embiid and Harden. Harden, that's kind of a big part of their game. That's a big chunk of what they do. And that's part of my skepticism and worry about Philly in a postseason setting is that eventually in these series, you're not going to just get the 20 free throw game for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. once in a while you get one from a guy like Giannis or a guy like AD or LeBron or even one of those two, but they sure. cut that water off. And yeah. Embiid took three free throws, was not aggressive from the start. Harden took three free throws, was not aggressive from the start. And that to me is just that's Miami gets credit for that. But it's also just partly if you're the team that's the road team in the series, you have to treat game five with that equal desperation. You can't just assume that you're going to win game six because a lot of times you don't. What like a team's game game six at home, that assumption is they're going to win it. But then what? You're going to just go to game seven and then everything's going to be fine when it's on the road. So Philly, I just don't understand. And neither did Doc Rivers as he 
as we saw very clearly in the timeout huddle when he was yelling at them about energy in the first quarter. And part of that, though, Pete, also has to do with the coaching staff and the preparation for the game as opposed to just assuming that it's going to be there. So a lot of problems, and I just thought it was apparent, like Miami was up at the start of the game. They were up double digits, let's see, at the 5-16 mark of the first quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, and from that point on, Philly never really got that close. So I, I'm still... I think more Miami skeptical in terms of big picture than you are in part because of Jimmy Butler, but he had, he has really raised his game to the level that we have seen uh, in previous playoffs. And so that has given me some more confidence that Miami could do it because we hadn't seen that Butler for a while. Now that he's up to that level, that's great. But the Lowry thing is a problem. And the other two problems with Miami for me, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. So Robinson's barely been able to get into the rotation. He played some last game, but he hasn't been playing much in part because if he can be a defensive target for Philly and Tyler Hero's game has, has waned from the game that was so effective in the regular season. And those are, those were sort of two of the guys you counted on. You can, Struess has replaced Robinson in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. And, And so that, that almost doesn't hurt you as much, but after Butler, if you've got a real big, that big can, and there's only three or four of them in the league, but that big can neutralize Bam some and Bam drops off a level. And so to me, it's just a, it's a top end talent issue with Miami once they get against some of the best teams uh, in the league. And again, this is only three or four teams, but that's who they're going to be facing moving forward. For sure. My argument with Miami is that they've seemed to be kind of overlooked by anyone, uh, everyone. I think that everyone's so, so close at the top of the league that you can make a solid argument for, I think, a good four teams to, to win the title, maybe even five, even at this point. And I can't remember another season that really fit that description this deep into the playoffs. Usually there's a clear one or two, sometimes three teams, but this many at this point is, is really rare. I just think that they've been a little bit overlooked, uh, and that they are in the conversation. That's been the, essentially my my argument. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And with with respect to Hero, I think he's an important player because he's one of the tools that they have. And he's one of the guys that's capable of getting his own shot, which I think is going to be more important against a team like Boston, if Boston advances, than it is against Philly. Because those big teams, one of the, the things about that big, big, like an Embiid that you were talking about that can neutralize Bam, is those guys also don't have a ton of like switchability normally on the perimeter. And so you can run your pick and rolls and get them in a drop coverage or run off screen action for your shooters and they're not just switching it and neutralizing it by by switching and so against teams that can switch everything and Boston is a team that that does that a lot you need somebody that can be like okay I'm going to take advantage and create my own shot so I think hero that's one of the things I like about Miami is that they've got a bunch of guys that maybe in this series they're not as important but next series just the way the matchup works out their particular skill set works out and even a guy like Oladipo right has been kind of a a godsend of depth especially with the Lowry injury where it's like Oladipo was a really good player once upon a time and if you can get you know 75% of that guy coming off of the bench. Like they just got a lot of different parts of their team that I like. All right. So there's a a tie in, I think with what you just said about hero and the other series that we watched. So let's get into that coming up after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so Tyler Hero, this is, Pete, part of my concern, right, with Miami and just in general once you get into the postseason. And the the players I would equate him to in the next series, in the Dallas and Phoenix series, would be Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie and to an effect almost, you know, anybody on Phoenix outside of Booker and Chris Paul. But since they have two, it hasn't been as much of a problem. And the the efficiency level against really good defenses for those guys just just is going to go down. Whereas the real superstars, and sure. I'm including Booker now in this in this category, certainly Jimmy Butler and obviously Luca, and then even Chris Paul for the most part. Although you can wear Chris down some, but he's still there where he's going to give you close to what you can expect from him. Those that to me is is really where uh, is really where in the playoffs it becomes increasingly obvious. And you've said this before, like every round that you get, right, it's a little tougher for those guys, mm-hmm. you know, and and that to me is just where we're at. And so Phoenix, well, here, do you, do you want to touch on that first? Like with would you see any parallel there with Hero and with those secondary guys in Dallas? I do. The one thing I would say is that he's taller. And I think that that's something that's one of the things that although Brunson is really good at kind of that 15 footer and uses ducks his head and his shoulder and like I'm gonna bump you off and then shoot a little fade away from 15 feet. But that like 15, 10 to 15 foot range is super important at this part of the season. And I think that being tall and he's got good elevation on his jumper. But mind you, you're absolutely right, Mike. He's not the type of guy that I'm like, Tyler Hero is going to carry Miami home. You know what I mean? It's just he's one of the tools in the toolbox that I think in a you know, your second units, your bench units, like he's going to be able to to score a few points in that early second quarter, early fourth quarter, that having that is is valuable. So Hero, and this is, it's again, it's like where I don't disagree, but to me, the difference between 
the efficiency level of him in a regular season in the playoffs is enough of a difference for me to be worried about. So playoffs this season, 14.2 points on 42% from the field. Regular season, 20 points on 45% from the field. And mm-hmm. let's see, the free throw attempts are, he doesn't get to the line much, right? Three free throw attempts, because he takes, he mostly takes jump shots, basically. That's right? right. And he's a good jump shooter, but those get increasingly difficult when you have better defenders on you. And I don't know what the answer is because he can't, he's not going to just start driving to the rim more because he's either going to get blocked, right? He's not, he's not the kind of guy that's got the size to get to the foul line. So that, that to me is just the, and it's a similar limitation to Brunson and Dinwiddie, except those guys are a little bit more slippery. Uh, in in getting to spots of the perimeter, but not, yeah, no, not that he's much. he's Hero's a secondary guy, right? Like he's yeah. one. Uh, it's like he, it's more of the point that it's Hero and Oladipo, and you know you've got. I I really think Jimmy's a legit playoff number one, even yeah. though he can't yeah, do yeah, it yeah. for eighty eighty two. You know, and so he's a side dish that I think is important when you look at him in the overall package hopefully Lowry can get healthy he'd be within that so I'm not trying to argue that that Hero is going to be this like primary go-to guy but he's just one of the guys that his particular skill set skill set a couple years ago Mike he averaged 20 a game in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Celtics so there are certain matchups that he can obviously different Celtics team this year but certain matchups that he can go off against and Miami has a lot of those guys where again in one series they'll do that but in another maybe they're more background but when you've got several of those Maybe only you need half of them in a particular series to to fit that bill. And I think maybe the place where he can do it more is when Bam doesn't have the type of difficult matchup in this case. And where Bam is where a team has to worry more about Bam, basically, whether it's his rolls to the rim or his finishes. And Philly just doesn't have to think about that as much because even last night, Bam had 12 points and six rebounds Mm -hmm. in, in 28 minutes. And they just he so he. If Bam has to be accounted for more, maybe that allows for that space to open better for Hero. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it depends. It's going to depend on the team, on their coverages and whatnot. But the ability to hit tough jumpers, I think, is valuable and, and will come in handy. I think more in the next series than in, in this one. So for the Dallas and Phoenix series, Pete, and I don't think it's over at this point. I think Dallas has been has been really good at home and. They this one just eventually kind of got away from them. But where did you see it start to slip? And do you think that it's do you think that there's any part of them that can salvage this and potentially get back to Phoenix and even win a game seven? I think the better team essentially exerted their will. I saw it really change in the second half of the second quarter. Um they're the two teams in the whole rock, paper, scissors vein. They're two scissors teams to me, right? Scissors teams being the teams that can cut you up with skill. Right. Like having Luca means that your team is probably going to get a pretty good shot. And if they don't, Luca's still going to stick some nasty jumpers right in your face, even though you played perfect defense. And so those kind of guys, I think you have a their floor offensively is really high. And then Phoenix is so precise. We've talked about this a, a lot through the course of the season. But the guy who flips things for me like when he's playing well is not a scissor at all he's a rock himself is deandre ayton i'm curious your thoughts on him mike because we always talk about phoenix from that perspective of of chris paul and devin booker and they're really kind of at the center of the frame i think ayton's a pretty underrated player that brings an element to the table that if you're going to have that skill team especially with a 5 11 6 foot chris paul 
having that big overwhelming force that's something that Dallas doesn't have and in that third quarter they went on a 17 to nothing run Phoenix did and that's where they really put the game away was in that third quarter and Aiton was right at the center of the frame had a couple of monster putbacks Mike where he got he got one two-handed rebound like 11 and a half feet above the floor where it's like ain't nobody else on the floor their elevator does not go that high and his ability to just be big, but he has wonderful touch around the basket. To me, Aiton's the guy, he's not the most important guy on the team, but he's the guy that when he's right, he puts them over the top. So that's what I saw was like in a series where so many skill guys are playing great basketball and Dallas didn't hit the jumpers that they hit in the last game. That's going to happen with variants. They've got one guy who is different than everybody else on the floor. And I think that that's the inherent advantage that the Phoenix has. Yeah, it's tough to argue with that. Aiden completely shut that water off in the third quarter. And a lot of it was just right at the rim. And Dallas is trying to get away with starting Dwight Powell, who has been uh, just just really struggled in this matchup. Mm-hmm. He's giving you nothing on offense. He's not big enough to deal with Aiden defensively anyway. So basically, why is he on the floor? And what are you going to do instead, though? Are you going to start Maxi Kleber, who ends up playing more, but he can't handle Aiden either? Right. You know, so do you go uber small and put in and it just completely commit to the to shooting like by putting pertons in i mean that's probably not going to work he's so that is the thing that that when phoenix really settles down and chris paul or booker decides okay like let's let's just let ayton cook some and he's not going to do it in the same way that an Embiid is or he's not, he's really not a primary offensive guy but he's a great secondary player uh, and he just needs to be set up some and so when the guards and it's there, I think they're tempted not too often, uh, probably too often they're tempted to go away from Aiden. And if they had Phil Jackson back in the day, he would have during those timeouts, he would have been yelling at Kobe like, hey, get the ball down to big fella. OK, yeah, now yeah. Yeah, yeah, do it again. He's like, yes. oh, but I got this matchup on the perimeter, you know, or actually not that Kobe would even say that. You just kind of look him off. Um, sure. So, yeah, and Kobe's still taking the shot, right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay, Phil, but sure. but but eventually, though, I mean, didn't Kobe Pizza just not to force a Lakers reference in here? No, but no. Would he? Wouldn't Kobe eventually sort of just get that on his own? Like right, like it when it wouldn't he? Wouldn't he know certain times to get the ball to Jack, especially in that for in the three peat and just do it? Yeah, that was a that was a process, right? Kobe was a young player who had visions of of grandeur that were rightfully so right for his own game and always had a certain especially when he was young a certain distaste for the triangle and felt that it was constraining and then being a second option to Shaq and that said come three come by the time the three peat rolled around that was one of the big lessons that happened in that space between them getting together in 96 th- uh, until the title in 2000 we had some playoff failures against Utah and San Antonio in which that was not in sync what I what I remember I'd love to hear from Laker fans about what they remember of this as well was like the first three quarters were really shack time and then the fourth quarter especially those last six minutes we even see this now in these playoff games is it turns into this very shot creator heavy environment you know guard on the outside and Kobe would really own the last six minutes of of those games and but as Kobe got older he absolutely that was something that I think that he really applied to his experience with Powell as well I thought Kobe had a great feel for helping facilitate the best out of Powell and the whole black swan white swan thing Mike I thought that was something that 
Kobe's experience with Shaq was formative in how he played with Powell, who is also a great big, but a very different type of one. Yeah, and Powell, so since Powell, Powell is, Aiton is below Powell and maybe above Bynum, right? Where, sure. and, and Shaq is completely out of the yeah, discussion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just was thinking about the, those first Kobe uh, proclivities to lean on you there, but Bynum was that was a similar player in some ways to Aiden, where he had great hands, like he did have nice yeah. touch. You know, finished not, everything. Yeah, yeah, finished everything. Was just much bigger, and he's the type of guy too that this Dallas team would just have nothing to do with if you could set him up. Now, if you didn't, then he's not going to help you that much because it's not like other than Luca who can finish through the trees anyway. Yeah, and so Andrew Bynum is somewhere between. DeAndre Ayton and Pau Gasol, right, in that front where he can't do all of the things that Pau did. and and But Ayton, there are some things that he does a little bit better than Bynum. But the point is, if you put that guy in the middle of a defense there, he's going to finish everything. And you have to devote, like, actual resources to him, which there's rarely mm-hmm. somebody that can do that that isn't going to take away something on the other end. And Dallas certainly doesn't have a guy for that. So the games that they've won, they've flummoxed Ayton a little bit more by just either going ultra small and actually hitting all of their threes. And and, and I think the guards, much like I was suggesting with Kobe, just have not used Aiton enough or sort of put him in those positions where he's going to really hit a defense. One of the things that I think impacted that, because you're spot on with that idea that they use Aiton more so as that secondary guy, is Booker really got going, especially in that mid-range, right? In those On those 12-footers, he was really good in that first half, especially. And so they started putting two on Booker. They started blitzing the ball handler. And when that happens with a guy like DeAndre Aiton on that short roll and he gets into the paint— that's one of the ways that so in some ways like Booker needs to establish himself in ways where he hadn't as much he had been coming off of a hamstring injury of his own and so in some that that initial guy that draws two defenders once that happens and you get the ball to Aiton he's just such a good finisher and he's so you know adept with either hand and he's kind of uh he can he's not stiff like a lot of big guys are he can kind of bend and contort in ways that like he's I don't know. He's he's really good. And once they get him going, he gets them, I think, just to an entirely different level. And I think we have a Laker topic to to hit. But before we do, I had one other question for you about something I saw offensively that was lacking for uh, for Dallas and, and wondering if you can hit that after the break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Pete, third quarter, we were just talking about Aiden and how much work he was doing inside and how Dallas wasn't doing much with it. Why, why couldn't the Mavericks score at all in the third quarter? Like, what was Phoenix <laughs> doing and what were you noticing? So, I think there's some degree of shooting variance, right, where they're, you know, like, that's going to happen when you're, you're a jump shooting team. They switched more uh, on, on to Luka, but... 
Phoenix is a team that we don't talk about them in terms of in terms of like bubble tax or defending champion tax. What's up, Riggs? We don't talk about them having that same sort of fatigue, but they have it too. They played as long as anyone else did, including Milwaukee. And when they're at their best defensively, one of the things I was so impressed by with them when uh, in our playoff series against them last year is their ability to swarm the paint and just kind of like rotate and 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 cover like, you know, this swing pass, it swings twice. Oh, well, Cam Johnson is still there. He's still right there. And and he does. A, they do a great job of making their defensive rotations. But it's hard to do that two years in a row, every single game. And they won, you know, what, 64 games. So they, they were fantastic at that. But they're a team that I see. They're a different team defensively when they're really bringing that level of juice and, and they're locked in. They can swarm to shooters. And so the way that you beat a team like that is by plowing through them right? Even though Aiton's big, a lot of their guys are not. But Dallas does not have the capability to plow through anybody. They're a team that's very much relying on Luka's going to get advantage. It's going to create an open look for a tall shooter like a DFS or a Kleba or someone like that. But if Phoenix is able to make those rotations, Mike, when they're at their best, and that's one of the reasons why like Dallas, they just don't have that ability to kind of go through you in a way that I think that that is just like... You got to be really good to beat Phoenix in a way in in ways that don't heavily involve an athletic and strength advantage, and Dallas just doesn't possess that. So, just to me, it was like Phoenix being at their best. Like they're better than Dallas defensively. They're going to rotate out to their shooters and all that. So th- that's what I saw there. Yeah, that makes sense. I the other thing that I was thinking, Luca came out and was ridiculous early, and there was this feel almost of. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, maybe Luca will just steal this game five on the road on his own. And I don't think that can be Dallas's mindset, though. I think that they they should have approached it like they did in games three and four, where they got a lot of help from the other guys. And then Luca was there where needed to polish things off and to finish things and to finish plays. And that's so that's Brunson. Sure, it's Dinwiddie when he comes in off the bench and Dinwiddie in 15 minutes at two points and was 0 for three from the field. Now, Brunson was pretty effective, but. They just they have to have some of those secondary guys uh, really stepping up. And, and I, I'm skeptical, certainly, that they can do it now twice. Yeah. And the last point for me, Pete, is just all of the step back threes from Luca. It's just it's just too much. Like it's I know it looks good, but those are cop out shots, Mike. Like, you know how we were talking about Giannis the other day where he's settling for jumpers and it's like you're. It, to, to me, it's a sign of fatigue whenever like because you could yeah. always get that shot and Luca can always get that shot. And in some ways, when you make one or two of them early on, that can kind of be some fool's gold that you're like, ah, you know, it would be better if I drove to the basket here. But I, I, I see that as being a fatigue thing that and and I think your point that it's not like super sustainable over the course of seven games. Like, yeah. What, what were you thinking on, on that front from the step backs? Well, they're just not, it's just not a good shot. Really. I get that it looks good and it can go, it goes down sometimes, but there's, there's a reason why even with the James Harden that that starts to drop off at certain points. And I, because I think he relies so much on that part of his game and he doesn't have the same wiggle at this point of his career and the same ability once he gets into the paint to finish in different ways and to just hold off a defender or to shoot over the top. Lucas got so many other tools to go to. Harden does that because he doesn't have that many other tools left. He doesn't have those physical advantages left. 
Isn't that yeah, amazing? He's, he's only 32, too. Like, see yeah. him aside from that game four with Harden, man, Harden's been like 16, 17, 18 points yeah. a game guy. And like, right. I don't know, man, Lucas, he's up for a max contract, too. I don't know. Oof. Yeah, that's that's that would be a tough one for me to get. But it's the same way that LeBron. It, it, so even at this stage of his career, LeBron has so many tools. So he'll take some step back threes, but not a ton usually. You know, and he'll and he'll do a more in the in the totally conserving energy standpoint, but not not like one after another, you know, so uh, because he can still he can go post up, right? He can draw a second and find somebody else. He can finish through traffic. He can bowl through players, all of the stuff that Luca has that I would just like to see him do it less. And I, I have his game lock here. So his last three games, he is five for 25 from three. Oof. The first two of the series, four for 11 and then five for 10. So you'll take that. But. That has dropped off considerably, and Phoenix gets some credit for it. They do. All, all of the bodies that they're showing Luka, that makes it even that much harder to drive. But that's why I would love to have, if he's going to be such a focus of the defense, then I would love to have them run some other stuff for other players. And, you know, maybe Jason Kidd would be like, yeah, Mike, it's not like we don't know how to do that. Uh, and <laughs> sure. we would we would love to just run ISOs for Spencer Dinwiddie on the other side of the floor. But Phoenix is just going to stay home and be like, OK, go ahead, guys. So I'm not saying there's an obvious, easy solution. It's just that I don't love that that level of Luka ball. Yeah. One of the things that they tried that wasn't Luka in that stretch where they were looking for answers and Phoenix is on the 17 nothing run is Jalen Brunson isolating on Chris Paul. And. He's got a size advantage and a strength advantage, but that's still Chris Paul, Mike. And he's not, you're not going to outwile a CP3. And he's still an excellent defender that is strong. He's one of them fire hydrants, even at his height. And so, in some ways, like this is where the train for Dallas gets off. If Phoenix is playing their best basketball, then, and Booker, especially on the offensive end, is capable of drawing two and, and like enough of a threat as a scorer, where this is where Dallas is train you know like this is the end of the road for them if phoenix is playing their best and i like there are things that they can try i just don't think they have the personnel to beat a phoenix which is that you need those big strong guys to to do that yeah i I think i think we're probably at the same point there yeah all right, let's let's wrap up here. We gotta we're gonna talk a little bit about Malik Monk. One of our listeners I thought had a great point about him in the comments, and so but we're gonna wait for Darius to get back for that. So we'll wrap it up here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We got a couple other big game fives tonight: Boston and Milwaukee, followed by Golden State trying to close out their series against Memphis. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about that and more. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot. An NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston, of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you Not kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Right. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. 
Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.